0: God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are yours from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Feet are not for stepping on. We learned that last, this last week as Abe got his foot stepped on. And it wasn't malicious. It, it was by a, a, a young child, just about his age. It wasn't uh, done on purpose, but once it was done, we realized feet were not for stepping on. And we always knew that, but after it was stepped on, Abe wouldn't walk. He would just crawl around for a while. And when he did finally get up and walk, he would hobble around because his foot still hurt him. And of course, as parents, we assume the worst. And, well, is it broken? Because feet are not for stepping on. Feet are also not for pounding against immovable object, objects when you're angry. But even though we know that, sometimes it happens in our haste, in our anger. We pound our foot against something, making us even more frustrated and angry than we were before. Feet are not, for pounding against immovable objects. I could keep going on of what feet aren't meant to do. There are a lot of things that feet aren't meant to do, but here is a very simplistic summary of what they are to do. Feet are for balance. Feet are for allowing you to walk. They're designed with that specific purpose that that you can walk around and that you don't simply fall over because your feet stabilize you. That's what they were made for. And if you use them outside of what they are made for, it's very likely that it's going to hurt them and damage them. You could use that for pretty much anything. Anything that's used outside of its purpose likely will become damaged and hurt and, and something will go wrong. Well, those are just the things that we know are how are used, know have a purpose. What, what about those things that we don't know so much what their purpose is? Well, that's what's going on today in 1 Corinthians as Paul writes to them. He sees them debating, trying to figure out what's the purpose of this one thing. And it starts out like this. He says, I'm going to have you jump to verse 13. Food for the stomach and stomach for food. Okay, it makes sense. Our stomach was made for food so that we can digest that food and get energy from that food and so that we can keep on operating and keep on living. And food was made for the stomach. As believers, we trust that God made food for us. It's there for that specific purpose that we eat it and are nourished by it. If we don't use our stomach properly, it won't function properly. If we start eating nails, we're not going to be nourished by nails. In fact, our stomach might be hurt by nails. If we don't eat anything at all, we won't get the nourishment that we need. And so we will stop operating, functioning And even to a degree, we would die. Food for the stomach, and the stomach for food. That was something that these Christians understood. But then there's a second part of this debate that they brought in. Since we have cravings for food, since that's a way that that God tells us that we need nourishment, maybe we can use that same principle for something else. Keep reading in verse 13 and 14. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. It's almost as if God, Paul takes such a big leap in logic here. He's talking about food. He's talking about, yes, our, our bodies need food. Our stomach needs the food in it. And then all of a sudden he jumps to this topic of sexual immorality. He says, it's not for the body, but the Lord is for the body, and the body is for the Lord. So what is Paul trying to do? Is he trying to be clever and and? and using that analogy of the body and the stomach and food and somehow connect it with sexual immorality and God's gift of sex. It's almost as if he's trying to stretch so far that he's, in doing it, is losing his audience and trying to be clever. He, well, he's not clever at all. But when you begin to see what Paul is saying and you really begin to look at the text, you understand where he's coming from. Because the words in this text, some of them at least, are not Paul's words. They're someone else's. Look, look at your sheet. Look at the 1 Corinthians 6. I'll read the first few verses and notice where the quotation marks come in. It says, Everything is permissible for me. Quotation. Out of quotation, but not everything is beneficial. Quote, everything is permissible for me, end quote, but I will not be mastered by anything. Quote, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, end quote, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. Christians at that time were trying to figure out what is this gift that God has given us? And how are we to use it? This gift of sex. And they say, well, everything is permissible for us. They said that, Paul quotes that twice. He says, everything is permissible for us because they're thinking God has taken the law on himself and fulfilled it and completed it. And so there's nothing else that we need to do that's required for our salvation. And so everything's permissible for us. Anything we do, even our faults, are covered over because Christ said, Eat in spite of your fault, despite what you have done, you are forgiven. And simply faith in Christ saves. And so they said everything is permissible. And so if we have cravings for food, if that's something that's natural part of our lives, wouldn't it only make sense that our sinful lusts and desires or, I should put it, desires should be fulfilled too. Isn't this just an, a natural thing? Because one day we'll be taken to heaven and uh, f- um, food will be done away with, uh, marriage will be done away with. And so, isn't this something that we can enjoy now? Something that we take pleasure in now? And you see how the Christians began to think. They thought, my body is for myself. My body is my own. I can do with my body what I please because, well, I only have a certain amount of time before I pass away to use this body. Well, Paul injects in their argument his own commentary. Where they say, everything is permissible he says, but not everything is beneficial. Where they say everything is permissible, he says, but I will not be mastered by anything. And if today is any indication, we can see exactly what Paul is saying. If our sinful desires and sinful pleasures were just like hunger, and we acted on them just like hunger, we would see exactly where they lead us. Don't we live in a day and an age where people who are famous have found themselves in a very precarious situation? Why? Because they think everything's permissible for me. If, as long as I'm pleasing myself, as long as I do what I, I think is good for me, then it's fine. And yet we live in a Harvey Weinstein culture. Beneficial? No. Not being dominated by anything? You see so many of these, these, these men, these people going through therapy because they can't help from what they've done. They've taught themselves how to do this over and over again. Beneficial? No. You see how it, changes, and even destroys marriages and families. If I go by what I desire and what I think is good for me, and I'm not faithful to my spouse, well, doesn't that tear families apart? Leaving children as, as the victims, is that beneficial? No. There's statistics that say of Christians look at inappropriate websites on a regular basis. Many of those becoming addicted, dominated by this, this, this thing, this disease, these actions. Permissible? Well, definitely not beneficial. You begin to see how God is calling us Away from what the world might have us understand about ourselves. The one thing that we may think is our own, our own bodies, if we do with it as we please, if no one's hurt by it, what does it matter? He wants to show us we are hurt by it. He goes into verse 15. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ Himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a, with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. It's amazing how Paul picks this out and how, how God focuses on this sin. he says, here is a sin that is truly detrimental Here's a sin that can truly separate you from what Christ has designed you to be. He created you with a purpose. He created you, informed you from the dust, so wouldn't he be the one to know how you are to function and how you are to work? He breathed life into us, and even though Adam cursed the world by his sin, and all of us cursed, he says you're still not meant to live that way. You may be able to do it. It may be permissible to the world. But is it really beneficial? Is it beneficial that so many, are, their self-esteem is built on how others view them objectively? How is it beneficial for us that, that so many people have, just think of the, the Me Too movement. It's no wonder. I'm not surprised that's happening. Because we're fed this. We're taught this. Fulfill your desires. If it pleases you, do it. If someone denies you, well, if you have the power and the status, who can deny you? Paul reminds us the body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Just like food is made for the stomach and the stomach for food, he says you are meant for the Lord and the Lord for you. This is what that that means. It says by his power God raised the Lord from the dead. He He will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Because of Adam's sin, we have all only to look forward to death. Because of Adam's sin, if if there was no one to come and redeem us, all we could possibly imagine as good is the phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So why not indulge? Why not... Love ourselves. Why not take advantage of others? But that's not the end of the story. The story continues that the Lord sent Christ. A payment for us. Now we realize that he not only created us, but now he redeems us. He pays for us. Because in our sins, we were only condemned. But now that Christ has died, That he has done away with our sins. He rises too. And because he rises, so too we will rise. We have been made members. Combined with this this holy body of Christ, part of him, righteous and pure. To be a member of something, there's, there's criteria. So some criteria is is just very simple. You show up and you're a member. Some, Some criteria is very strict. You think of Olympians. To be an Olympian, to be a member of the Olympic team, you have to physically perform to a certain level. You think of God's criteria for us to be members. It's impossible. He demands perfection. He demands us to be holy. He demands us to work and operate and do exactly how he formed us and for the purpose he formed us. And yet we haven't. And so what has he done? He's given us membership. He's given us Christ. To purify us from all our sins and to unite us to such a holy and glorious body. And because of that, he says, Why go on sinning? Why go back to your own sinful desires? Because you know you have been taught why God created you. The Lord is for you and you for the Lord. Even to the point where he says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. If it had not been for Christ, we would not be the Lord's. But we have been made the Lord's, bought at a price a very expensive price of his death on the cross. And as he convinces us, as he shows us, as he teaches us, we can honor him by what we do. As married couples, we can honor him by how we love our spouses. As those who aren't married, we can honor him in the actions we take towards each other. For those who are single, we can honor him And why wouldn't we? Because he has paid so much for us. Today, we're asked to flee from sexual temptation. But it's not without purpose. The purpose is to lead us to Christ. To to allow us to hold and cling to Christ. Because, well... Sin is the one thing that removes us from him. So take confidence today as we're reminded we are the Lord's. We're his temple. He wanted us, he purchased us, and he has us. We ask that God give us the strength to live a life that would honor him. Today and every day of our lives. Amen. Please stand. We join together in confessing our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed, printed for you on page 5 in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. This time we'll collect our offering. If you are a visitor, do not feel obligated to give an offering, but give it all the joy of your hearts.